And welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, we are just setting things up a little bit before we throw to an interview that we've just concluded yeah. with Dylan Glathorn. Very cool. What a lovely, lovely man. He was so friendly, so yeah. lovely, and very knowledgeable and very sh- willing to share, which was really nice. And down to earth and um, willing to explain yeah. if, if I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. But also didn't, I never felt like he talked down to me either. No. You know what I mean? So. Very humble. Yeah. Especially considering what he has produced on this. Yeah. Because it is incredible, the music. Very, very humble. Couldn't have been more accommodating. Yeah. I mean, there's something really nice. I'll say this about all the all the experiences we've had with people involved in Shipwrecked and the Headless Crew, whatever it is we, want, we mm-hmm. sort of want to talk about it, is that... <laughs> Despite the fact so much time was spent about getting heads out, none of them have a big head. <laughs> they just seem to be genuinely good people. Yeah. And nice people and kind people and without ego. And I wonder if part of that is the the DIY kind of roll up your sleeves and let's get it done. You know. They all wear multiple hats. They all wear multiple hats. I don't, think you, I don't well. think you can do that if you if if if, if you're a diva. No. And therefore, you want to be around people who have that same positive energy. But everybody we've encountered so lovely. has been so positive. Yeah. And so in a second, we're going to throw right to that interview. And you're going to hear from Dylan about um, the Shipwreck series itself, yeah. which is available on YouTube. You can either watch it in episode pieces, by episode, episode yeah. by episode, or they have a complete cut that just launched last week. Yeah. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, we make reference to a couple of other things that he's done. We'll have references in the show links to, we, we do speak about uh, The Speed of Time, which is a short film that he did with Mr. William Stribling. That name might change. William J. During William J. What does the J stand for? You might find out uh, as, as we go through. But um, yeah, the, uh, I, I tell him about 15 times how great it is that he's that he's come on. But uh, yeah, there's, there's no hyperbole in that. I really couldn't have been more appreciative of the time uh, he spent. It's always really weird when, when we reach out and we mm. go, hey, because it's really easy to feel like, you know, who, who, you know, who are we? We're just this yeah. little this little film pod who, um, you know, just tries to kind of get involved and do things. And we've been lucky enough. We've stumbled into mm-hmm. some sort of a recurring thing with, 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 with the shipwreck community. Yeah. Which is nuts. It is nuts. It is nuts. It's probably a little bit more so nuts for me. Well, yeah, because you've been sort of on, you've been sort of an admirer from afar. Since Poe Party. Since yeah, Poe Party. Yeah. And in a sense, you and everybody we've spoken to, well, <laughs> we've mentioned that you appear in the, in the, in the thank I you credits. I do appear in the thank you credits. Yeah. And now have an IMDb page you because a, I appear in the thank you credits. I stopped short. I didn't know if you wanted to share that part. No, so, that's yeah. okay. They can go on there. So I, yeah, I stumbled, up, I stumbled upon this and sent it to you and went, Do you re- are you aware of this? And yeah, sent you a link so to cool. your own IMDb, own IMDb page. <laughs> Hopefully, thanks in 10 episodes of Headless won't be the only oh. thing that's ever on there, but we shall see. Uh, we, we, we can if I get the, the gumption up to it. It just depends if people are cool, if, if all four members are cool with their full names mm. being whatever. The pod can be registered with IMDb. That's cool. So, because... I mean, we, yeah. we've revealed my name by saying that I'm in the end credits because I'm the only Georgia yeah, in the but, end credits, but, but yeah. Don't, yeah, but people can go ahead and search for that. I also have a very common name, so it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah. Did you see the amount of le- Roman numerals after my name on the IMDb yes. page? Yes, <laughs> yes you, you're, you are definitely not, 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 not the first member with that name. <laughs> No, whereas whereas I would be, you so probably would be, yeah, yeah. I think I have an entry to my name, but I don't think there's anything on it, right? Which is weird. I don't know why I have an entry. It might be because of the podcast. It because could at be. At one point, Podbean had your name, full name on it. 
Yes, it did. Yeah. So maybe it's somehow been reverse engineered maybe, through the yeah. system. But we're getting it. This is me and you. This we're supposed to be talking. <laughs> we're just we're just having a chat with the mics on, which is what. Let's be honest. It's what we it's do. What we do yeah. But we're about to have, and chat is probably the best word for it. Like, yeah, we asked questions, and yeah, Dylan answered them, but it didn't feel forced, or it was just. It really was just a chat, and one question led to other places, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, 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 I've got a couple of nice moments in this, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I, I make inferences and, and, and they're pretty good. You're quite good at that, yeah. I am quite good at that. I will say this. We've had guests on in a variety of manners. Uh, I think back even to our conversation for Designated Rider, yeah. where I sort of go, here's what I'm getting. And they kind of look and they go, yep. Yeah, that's what we're going for. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pretty good at this thing. You are pretty good at this thing. Can I give you, can I give you a blooper? You want to give me a blooper? Yeah, because I don't know if you've noticed. Is this something that I did? My hair is purple. Oh, no, okay, I haven't noticed that. Okay. <laughs> I can see it now. All right. We've been sat recording for hour and 20. Well, I'm, I was I've focused on the guest. Hour and 40. My I hair has focused. been purple the whole time. It's a subtle purple. It's not blonde anymore. Was it blonde before? Oh, dear. Okay, yeah. There we go. I'm just, I'm just reinforcing gender stereotypes. You really are, yeah. So, but all this... <laughs> Away from the point, if you're talking about this, you want to hear from Dylan Gladhorn, and we're going to throw to Dylan Gladhorn right now. Okay, your hair is purple. Don't lose your head about it. So here on the BFE, we have had writers, uh, Sean and Sinead Prasad, amongst others. We've had directors. Hello, Jay Salahi. We've had cinematographers and aerial cinematographers. We've even had uh, actors like Sean Prasad, Sinead Prasad, Mary Kate Wiles, the great Simon Callow. But uh, something we've never had on is someone involved in the music side of things. And I'm very excited today to get to talk to uh, someone involved with a project that we really both enjoyed um, over, over the past summertime, and that's Dylan Glathorn. I want to provide a little bit of background on Dylan before we welcome him on. Uh, I stole this from IMDb, written by uh, Anonymous, and I'm a big fan of, of that person's work. So I'm going to go ahead and, <laughs> and read some of this. Uh, Dylan Glathorn is a Brooklyn-based composer and lyricist for stage and film. His music has been described by the New York Times as assured. Nice. Uh, Dylan's written music for nine feature films, done commercial work for brands like Lint, Nickelodeon, Oakley, Red Bull, Alice, and PBS. He's a recipient of the Clive Davis Award for Excellence in Music and Film, the Best Original Score at the First Run Film Festival, and the only two-time recipient of the Alan Menken Award. Big fans of Alan Menken over here. Uh, Dylan's also part of Shipwreck Comedy Family, writing everything from scores for beloved web series like Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party to original standalone songs like Friends to the End. But we're here more specifically to talk about Headless, and we are humbled and thrilled to welcome Dylan onto the show today. Hello, Dylan. How are you? Hello. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for making some time for us. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, we got a hold of Dylan fairly early in the run with uh, Headless, and then we got super busy. And yep. so <laughs> the fact that this was, we thought it was going to be much, much earlier, that's on us and not on Dylan whatsoever. Well, well, I also got super busy, so it worked out perfectly the way it, the way it did right now. Excellent. Um, so, uh, what's it like in uh, if you're still Brooklyn based? What's it like? What's the weather? Is are you involved in this massive storm that we're hearing so much about over here? Massive storm. Oh, uh, I think they got it really bad upstate New York in okay. Buffalo. Um, but everything in my neck of the woods is okay. Oh, okay. uh, we're actually warming up a bit. 
Um, pardon my use of Fahrenheit. It's going to be up to 55 degrees this weekend, which is very nice. Uh, George, I think it's somewhere between 8 and 12. I said that means nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 know that, I know that 40 degrees is, about, is over 100 Fahrenheit. Yes, yes. yes. That's, that's the uh, equivalent I, I always... we had 40 in the summer for a couple of days, and th- we all died. 32 yeah. Fahrenheit is, is freezing in Celsius, zero. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian, but my, my parents' generation all dealt with Fahrenheit, and the switch to metric happened <laughs> in their lifetime. So I've, I've had a lifetime of trying to sort of hear both numbers simultaneously. <laughs> my mother is Canadian. Oh, there we go. There we, there go. There we go. Then we're bound to get on fit. My mother yeah. was Canadian too. Look at that. <laughs> Actually, that is say something because, because your dad wasn't. Because right? yeah, because 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 no. my dad is uh, English born. So so there, there, there we go. go. So we're we're located here in the UK. I did live for a year in the states in Phoenix. So yeah, there's a whole lot of Canada, US. UK wonderful. going on right now. <laughs> uh, Headless, what a wonderful series. If I can just start off by 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 saying that. And I was uh, enjoying uh, being part of the premiere of The Whole Cut, which you can now get now. If you don't want to do piecemeal, for some reason you still haven't seen Headless out there, uh, you can catch a hold of the whole thing cut into one master cut, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I was, I was watching the premiere of this and it was, it was nice to sort of exchange thoughts on it again with Sean and Sinead and Mary Kate and anybody else who was happy part of it. But so much of what I noticed, uh, was, uh, watch it all together and, and a, a sort of a second full watch, if you will, mm-hmm. was a, the, the lighting was always on point, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then consistently Dylan, how much your score holds the emotional weight of all the scenes together so just right from the Thank top you. incredibly well done um what's it like for you to be on the other we asked the same question to sean and Sinead. what's it like for you to be on the other side of this now and it's all out there uh, from, from your perspective how long has your side been done with and it been sort of in someone else's hands as it is anyway oh well i mean first off my side of things is always the end Right. So, I mean, obviously with Shipwrecked, we have a longstanding collaboration, you know, uh, collaborative, you know, nature to us and uh, partnership. And um, and so we work differently. We talk early. We start talking about themes. But the true scoring doesn't happen until picture lock. So once once picture is locked, they they pass it on to me and I score the the episode while it's getting color corrected and um, and the sound effects are going in and then it gets sent off to the final mix and then it's done. So if we can just unpack this a bit, I'm, uh, just picture lock, something, not something I've come across before. So picture lock would be the, the visual content, as you said, is locked in place. There's going to be no more edits to the narrative. There's no more what you see, but, but you know how much time you have to work with. They're just going to do the color correction, as you mentioned, and add things on top of it. But visually, the story as we see it is what we're going to see for that perspective. Exactly, because, I mean, music in itself, if you boil it down, is, is the art of sound in time, yeah. right? So it's so if that time in the episode changes at all, even a couple frames, it changes the music, right? Because now, you know, if, if I have a certain music cue that starts at, you know, the three-minute mark, 12-second, 23rd frame, and then you you remove some, oh, well, then the last beat of that music is no longer, you know... It's stopping when he puts the cup down it's stopping after and it, and it changes everything 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, always, always starting the true scoring process at Picture Lock. Hey. Now, some some directors, you know, will, you know, when when you're big time, like Scorsese, I I, I hear uh, likes to change things after the scoring process, and I, I've just you know heard you know via telephone that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that he'll sometimes do that, and and you know it, it's not you can go in and conform music. I've definitely done that before. You have to, you know, either speed up the tempo here and there to make all the hits and sync points line up the way you want it to. But um, it does make it a little messy when you start doing that. <laughs> On that note, speaking of, of, of Headless specifically, when you're working with Sean and Sinead and the, and the, and the, the whole team over at Shipwrecked, once they deliver to you um, the, the episode in, in Picture Lock, do, do you have then autonomy to kind of go, here's where I'm going with this? How often are you checking with them as far as here's where I'm at? How collaborative is that process? Or is that fairly, I'm going to go away and do my thing and deliver to you a finished product. And I guess we'll talk at that point. Yeah. So, um, so William J. Stribling, I know him as Joe, uh, is how I got connected with Shipwreck. Uh, so he's the director and uh, I've worked with him for years and years. We actually grew up together in Florida St. Petersburg, Florida, and then we got the hell out as soon as we can, uh, as soon as we could at 18, came up here uh, to NYU, and um, he's a couple years younger than me, but uh, I've been scoring his films since we were both in college, and um, and so he started working with Shipwrecked early on with, um, with Poe Party, and, uh, and that's when I started working with them as well, and um, typically what happens is, uh, you know, the, the first step of the actual scoring process is a cue spotting session. So I'll, I'll sit down with Joe and, um, and say, you know, okay, we have, we have picture lock ideally. And, um, and we're going to go through now and spot the music cues. And so, uh, you know, say we're, we're on episode five. Okay. Episode five, I, I forget how long it is, but let's say it was 10 minutes. So we'll go through and say, oh, okay, at, uh, we're going to want the first piece of music to come in at the 30-second mark when this happens. And um, and it can be, and, you know, maybe Joe will have some ideas of, like, I want it to be, you know, adventurous where, where the music is uh, is should be telegraphing what, what to feel here. Or let's go against, you know, what's happening on screen or, you know. Or, or just do your thing, Dylan. You know, I want the music to start at thirty seconds and then be out by fifty-five seconds, thirteenth frame. Um, and then we'll go through the whole episode and cue spot the the music cues, and and then then I'll go in and and do my thing for for the first episode or like the first few cues of a, a feature film, for instance. I will, I will get through what I believe to be like the main themes and like enough to show a texture of like a direction and what I'm thinking, like, you know, however many that is three cues, four cues. And then I'll send it along and be like, Hey, am, am I going in there? Is this right? Is this feeling right? And either it's not, and then I'll go and revise them. And then at that point, once we get to, you know, later episodes, I'm just doing full passes and sending it to them and, and getting, and getting notes back because at that point 
I, we're all on the same page with what the music feels like, what it's, what the sound is, what, what the tone of this world is and what it's trying to accomplish. Excellent. Um, maybe to talk about how to, a little bit about your own journey. How do you get from, um, being a young person going through school and then deciding I want to compose for, for film, for television, for, for, for web series. What was that journey like? Uh, so I was, um, a shy young kid growing up, you know, in, in, in Tampa Bay. And, um, and I remember getting a little toy piano, started tinkering around with that, you know, four or five, I forget how old and did, uh, I remember doing the school talent show singing, uh, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. And my mom made this ridiculous outfit for me. And, uh, and I got up on stage and started singing. And, um, did you salute? Sudden, did you do a salute while you were, <laughs> I, I have no recollection of that. All I, <laughs> all I remember is the, the girl that performed before me had like a little tutu on and she like just immediately start, started crying. She got, you know, <laughs> you know, wheeled off stage and uh, and I was like, I'm not going to do that. And I got up there and hammed it up, and I was like, Oh, okay, maybe a life in the in the arts is is right. You know, it's something to try. I mean, like, however much a, a four or five year old can think that. But I was like, Oh, I like this. You know, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not this like, sh- you know, this takes away some of the shyness. And um, and then I started, you know, studying piano early on, and um, got into like song and dance troops. And, um, ended up going to a performing arts middle school and high school. And, um, I was doing a lot of theater, a lot of acting, but then the, the part that I really enjoyed about it was, was playing piano and kind of helping facilitate other people shining. I'm like, I don't, I don't, it's okay if I'm not the center of attention. And so I, um, and then, you know, started writing and, um, went to NYU for, um, music theory and composition in my undergrad. And at, at that point I was really just focused on writing, uh, for musical theater and, you know, concert music songs and everything. And, um, actually it, I feel like my transition into film was, uh, I mean, uh, just not by accident, but just to, uh, you know, because a lot of my friends started becoming film directors and they knew I was a composer, uh, you know, Joe Stradling being one of them. And, uh, and he was like, Hey, can, can you write, you know, can you write the score for, you know, the, my little films, I, you know, and, uh, and I got into it that way. And, and largely I, I feel like it's, it's the same idea as writing for theater. It's writing for story. It's writing for characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so in principle, it's it's the same thing. So you mentioned you started on piano. Is it still very much piano first when you start composing, or do you kind of bring in other instruments as well? Good question. Uh, um, it really depends. You know, if if it's um, and I, you know, the classic question, lyric or you know, <laughs> music first. It it always depends on the 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 project on the moment sometimes if, if it's very melodic uh the melody will just you know I'll, I'll think it up and and you know record it in a voice memo and like oh it should sound like this and then the drums coming in you know and very like 
you know, frenetic, crazy voice memos that I've taken on the streets walking. <laughs> and, um, and then sometimes I'll be sitting at the piano coming up with it. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll depend. Piano is definitely still the, the primary instrument. Um, but obviously yep. guitar yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would say piano. It's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, Moby, the recording artist, said that he would never again limit himself to a guitar with six notes where he could always have ten with a, with, <laughs> with, with a piano. I don't know if he held with that. He was being interviewed by someone who wanted to say something new and interesting that day and came out with that. But it always resonated <laughs> with me, so I thought a, a very, very interesting question. Georgia and myself, as well as Liam and Ethan, who are also members of our podcast, we here, we're long-suffering amateur dramatic types, so we definitely appreciate the guy at the keyboard playing and facilitating our chance to shine. So, yes. Um, Especially because I cannot play a single instrument. I could just about get away with a tambourine. That is about it. Like, I'm tambourine not, is great. I'm just not that that way musically inclined i can hear it i can hear it's supposed to sound like but the physicality of actually learning where your hands are supposed to be on an instrument is not something i have well there are plenty of things that i can do i i I feel like it's it's the one thing i can do well so i i I ran with it (laughs) but pretty much every everything else is pretty difficult Uh, if we speak back, back to Headless, if we speak pre- predominantly based on the theme that opens every episode and that we see, pardon the pun, but rift on in a bunch of different uh, genres and sort of manifestations throughout it, how did is there how did that come to, to be? How did that piece of music take us through a journey on that one? Because it really is a, a lovely, catchy hook that just, I think, delivers both the dark undertones of the uh, of the content while still having the playfulness that lends itself well to shipwrecked. So that marriage has been pulled off so well. Where did that come from? Well, thank you. Uh, I, I will say the first version of the theme was much darker and um, I kind of, I kind of knew it was going to be too dark, <laughs> but I followed my, my instinct just, you know, want to see what, you know what happened and 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 sent it their way it was much more of like a an hbo drama <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh and and that was pretty early on that i came up with it like years ago at this point uh when they were launching the kickstarter you know right right before quarantine oh. and everything um and i think at the time i just sent it to joe and and he was like oh yeah this could be way too dark um, but he ended up s- sending it to the, you know, Sean Sinead, Mary Kate, Sarah, and, uh, and they, they did like it. And, uh, but then once, once they started actually filming and we started getting into what the series actually felt like, looked like, um, it was definitely clear it was too dark. So I, I kind of went back to the drawing board. I, as a basis, just because the, the idea of the bard is so central to, you know, as like a narrative device and, and his, you know, um, John's uh, ukulele playing and everything that I kind of noticed that a lot of the, the keys that he was playing in were D minor. Uh, and, and a lot of like the, the main melodic content was under this one chord progression. And so I took that. I'm like, okay, if I just use the basis of this chord progression and kind of like threw everything else out and just came up with a completely new melody on top of it, 
and a new instrumentation and a reimagining of it. How, how, how different can I go? <laughs> and, um, and I just started playing around. I'm like, oh, okay, what if it's, uh, you know, John's melody has a very kind of like modal, uh, you know, almost like 1500s kind of like Henry the eighth green sleeves kind of vibe. And I'm like, okay, what if instead of that, we go more, let's jump up, you know, and just playing around with it and, and landed there. That's brilliant. That's remarkable. Really enjoying that process. I am nerding right out over this. Yeah, (laughs) I did do a fair bit of musical theory in uni myself. So some of the stuff he's saying, I'm like, I understand where you're going with this, but to you, it's all just like lights and. and I can read sheet music enough to follow it if I'm singing, but that's that's it. So to me, I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's really interesting to to to, to go back to the melodies of of the songs that um, you remember the surname of the bar, John. Kozart. Kozart, thank you. Yeah. Had had um, come up with there. And they take that and sort of reverse engineer from that back to the theme. I hadn't realized it. And now that, now that you've done that, I can totally hear it. Yeah. Um, which and, is remarkable. And, it, and then it connects the score and the songs yeah. in, in a way that maybe isn't immediately obvious, but you can always kind of feel it. You feel the connection. They feel both both part of the same world. So considering that yeah. they are written by two different people, effectively, they do mesh very, very well. There is no disconnect between the scoring and the song. One diegetic, is, one non-diegetic. Yeah, which I think yet, is very mm, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's got you, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, 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 really. That's a great story. <laughs> um, Instruments-wise, with the scoring that you used, did you mostly use... Um, keyboard and kind of electronic or do you record individual instruments as you go uh everything that you hear is uh is is either me on the keyboard or me tapping something in this room but uh yeah every everything in in the score is um unless i'm forgetting to ah except for one cue um the the um cat's intro where you hear a saxophone Mm -hmm. yes that that is Ryan Garcia, uh, who is uh, the uh, the um, oh my god, I'm blanking on his character's name, but the the head of the heist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's Ryan Garcia. Yeah. Oh, I wish I had his name I now. Can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't think of his, his name in it. Oh. Um, oh, it's, I'm blanking. No, yeah. No, uh, that's really cool. Tahoe. 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 Yeah. Polly Tahoe. Yeah. Polly Tahoe. Polly Tahoe. Yeah. yeah. Kind of the most interesting man in the world. Kind of one of those <laughs> yeah, things. Exactly. The legend. So, so he played the saxophone. I, you know, I, I did a, a temp recording and then uh, sent him the sheet music, and and he recorded, sent me back his track, and I laid it in. I do have in my notes here key kind of moments from the score I want to talk about. I've got cat intro is the first one I have <laughs> on my list. So, so there, there, you there go. we go. I loved the sax. It was a very careless whisper for and me. And the, the plan is on there too for the. And, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to get there. Definitely going to get there. But yeah, wow. What a, what a great well, little bit. Careless whisper was the temp for it. <laughs> oh, and, <laughs> and it's, and it's funny because I, for that cue, I tried maybe five renditions and it was the one thing usually shipwrecked they're they're very on board with 
you know, pretty, pretty quickly with the things I sent them, but they just weren't, they were like, no, none of these are right. Either like they were, you know, the first versions were like two eighties or two synthy. Um, and, and then I was like, all right, let me, let me deconstruct careless whisper. Let me, <laughs> let me do like a, a, a weird, ver- my weird version of it. Uh, that's also in- incorporating the, again, the chords from the main the main score yeah that's very clever i like that a lot one of my favorite youtube videos is sax man going around a shopping center playing careless whisper on a saxophone and getting like arrested by security guards so that's that's brilliant (laughs) i I know that one it's great (laughs) it's great uh Oh, sorry about this. I, I should have been looking. Well, I was too busy enjoying the, the, the response. As such is. I'm so happy. I like I like nailed careless whisper on that. I'm so I'm so pleased with myself. Um, was there any other musical inspirations like that that happened throughout it? Oh, so bits that you kind of picked up on and went, I want to use this, but deconstruct it first. Um. So the the first cue that um music cue that I actually scored with the picture lock was the gala scene where he comes and meets the mayor for the first time and it's a very long cue it's uh, a little over three minutes and uh, and I was trying to figure out I'm like what is the you know I was still trying to figure out what the sound of the score was what is the sound of this world um, and especially what's the sound of this party scene mm-hmm. um, and so I you know given Sleepy Hollow uh, and and the old colonial nature of the place. And, you know, it's not too far away from me. I've been there. Um, and, and just thinking of, like, uh, old uh, colonial music and what does that sound like? And I just kind of thought, oh, well, a lot of, like, flutes, a lot of um, kind of uh, old, uh, you know, old Dutch music, uh, 1700s, you know, when the founding of, of America and everything and, and, uh, and individual string instruments, you know, so you can really hear the texture of the, uh, of the sound. Um, and then also very simple melodies, you know, almost like, um, the, the melodies of, uh, folk tunes that uh copeland drew from in appalachian spring you know those those kind of very simple old you know american old dutch uh you know tunes and then kind of again doing my own rendition of that but just using that as inspiration no word of a lie I, my first note was cat intro my second note is the background music at the fancy party at the mayor's <laughs> so well, there you go it's all going according to plan um yeah two things i wanted to comment on just to sort of uh just solidify how 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 brilliant i think both of these moments are um i i mentioned the sean Sinead and the mary kate how important it is in episode one that when uh, Ichabod falls for Cat that we fall for Cat. And so that intro is so important because instantly it aligns us to Ichabod's wants. And so however many times it went through to get there, nailed it. Um, and then the other <laughs> thing that came out in our conversation, and you can see throughout, is they, they kept trying to figure out how to make Ichabod feel as uncomfortable as possible in various situations. And I think placing him and juxtaposing him against this fancy party, which is which which the heartbeat of is this score that you've come up with, which which distances himself from kind of the Ichabod that we've sort of come to know as this 
as this awkward introverted tyke who probably is the farthest thing from his comfort zone that's just another brilliant sort of moment and it, it, it's understated and it's subtle and they're not going to hit you over the head with that one because there's going to be other things they're going to they're go to to make that explicit but on an implicit level I think it just works really well to show that Ichabod's not in his element so on both of them mm. nailed it and it's so important in that first episode that we build these characters up so we can go somewhere from here plot wise but mm-hmm. episode one is so important in establishing that so yeah like I just said I, just, yeah. I, I think you nailed it well done <laughs> Thank for, you. for whatever my opinion matters, <laughs> love to hear that it that it worked. Yeah, because yeah. especially when you're in it, you're like, well, I think this is working. We'll see. <laughs> uh, what was the most fun one to do? Uh, the most fun. was there one where you just kind of went, I got this. I know what I want to go with this. Or when they were talking about it, going, that's going to be a fun one to do. I'm really going to, you know, or, or is it more? Is it more challenging? You don't get to sort of have. Do you view it that way, or is, or is it something different from that? I, I find that ultimately the ones that I look back and say that's the most fun, I definitely didn't feel that way getting into it. <laughs> you know, like, like uh, you know, uh, the, the heist cue, right? That was one that I knew was coming, you know, down the pipeline. Uh, also the show, the, the play. You know, I knew these huge cues, right? I mean, the play is, um, I think that, that cues four minutes, three or four minutes. And then, uh, you know, the, the heist is also long and just thinking, you know, it's the blank page, right. Of like, well, I know I've written music before. I write music all the time. I've written it all my life, but that blank page, you're like, well, I have to fill a lot of time and I need to communicate things and, all right, can I do that? But you jump in and then, uh, and then it, it, it all becomes, you know, uh, apparent. And then, uh, you know, you, you, you get in the weeds with it and, um, and then you look back and you're like, man, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, so, um, it's always fun, you know, looking back. I mean, I mean, the heist one is so especially, um, it comes off to us. I know it's not going to be your. <laughs> it comes to us. It's this effortless form of storytelling, where it builds upon um, sort of conventions that that we're already familiar with, and it let us ha- lets us have a lot of fun with these characters in a situation that we're not expecting them to go. But the minute they sort of tap, it's a very community. If I can say that, if you're familiar, how they kind of take characters you already know and then place them in this other genre for 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 an episode or for 10 minutes, whatever it might be. And, you know, and there's a lot of fun you can have with that by having, this is our, this is our heist episode. This is our heist moment. And mm-hmm. the storytelling becomes really shorthand on their part. If you nail the cinematography, but more importantly, I think if you nail the sound, especially with a heist, because there is such an iconic sound that has come from things like oceans 11, that you go, oceans 11, it's a heist yeah. film because of what it sounds like. And I think you, you nail the sound, and the sound well. like it without it coming across as a exactly copycat sound, or yeah. just aping it. Yeah. The, the idea that you can you can feel the influence, but it's going somewhere original. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and Joe Stradling, you know, he he really did want. I mean, he he loves Ocean's Eleven. Always wants me to reference Ocean's Eleven, and especially <laughs> here, he's like, okay, next episode, it's gonna be the heist. We're we're gonna be doing Ocean's Eleven, and I'm always like, whenever whenever there's like temp or or like a reference that I that I have to you know listen to and be influenced by, I'm always like. Man, it, it, it makes me nervous because I never want to copy it. Um, but the the good thing with me that you know turned into a benefit is my my memory of of melodies and and the way the exact the exactness of, of other things and how they sound uh, always gets a little murky. And it, I always end up doing my own rendition anyway. I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like this, right? And you're like, that's not what that sounds like at all. <laughs> and I'm like, well, good. Nice. So I did my own <laughs> I did my own version of it. Um, but the, the heist was a lot of fun just building, uh, you know, this cacophony of like a, a percussion section that was like 10 to 20, you know, tracks and then the the bass and and the um the Wurlitzer keyboard with like uh organ and and the saxophones um it was a lot of fun it, it was it it definitely took me the most time i would say in retrospect that that cue took me almost four full days uh-huh. um because there were just so three or four days because it, it was like there were so many little moments to hit so like oh she you know take rips this piece of paper or like it's, it's like oh okay percussion needs to like you know there needs to be a little moment here a little cymbal scrape here or like you know like so just playing with you know almost like those building blocks and like oh the the texture needs to change slightly at this moment where, you know, on this cut, what do we do? Do we bring something in? Do we take something away? Maybe the organ cuts out here and we're left with just congas or maybe the congas cut out and we're left with just organ and like just playing around with, or maybe just shaker, maybe just snaps, maybe claps, you know, just constantly shifting, you know, what you're hearing. I mean, you've just mentioned several instruments. How many do you think you used in total? for the scoring shipwrecked? Um, there were definitely uh, 80, 90 instruments, up, uh, almost a hundred. Yeah. You know, That's uh, so cool. <laughs> because certain things, I mean, like with the heist, I'm using instruments that weren't used anywhere else in the score, mm-hmm. but still incorporating instruments that, that are used in the score. So it doesn't feel completely alien. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, or to, it is an outsider, but still needs to have a little bit of a through line, right? It was really, so certain, sorry, go ahead. Oh, just like certain things where, uh, you know, if there's a, a, an electric bass line that comes in, it's like, well, electric bass hasn't been in the score. It's all been upright bass. But having the upright bass get incorporated later on just as a texture within the heist just like lends the ear to, th- oh, okay. There are certain instruments that do still feel familiar to the rest of the score. 
it was just so interesting. Again, I don't know if it's just the way that I, I, I think about music, but the when you talk about the, the tearing of a sheet or whatever it might be, they go, right, you're still at all times a slave. I don't mean that in a negative, but it, it, it's, it's always about the visual and making sure. So where you might go, this would sound really good if this went on for 12 beats or for, or, for, or for six bars, whatever it might be, to go. But at the end of the day, it's about that visual, and that visual needs to drive the bus. And whatever it is you, you're feeling like you'd go with melodic, it's so interesting to have to serve two masters, sort of to make sure the music sounds as it needs to sound as, as, as an individualized piece. But really what it's there to do, which is accent the visual and storytelling that's happening on there. It's just, this is, this is this is why it's such a privilege to have somebody <laughs> from from this from that side of it on because I've, I've talked to people who've done music before but never music for, for for the aid of a visual purpose yeah that and you hit it right on the head like it can be tricky it can be tricky especially if you're uh, you know it's a bit of this right and for the pocket i'm tapping my head and rubbing my belly you know it's it's um it's it's a bit of <clears throat> Needing to tell the story, the story, needing to look at the visual, needing to, you know, align with that. But then if you completely lose sight of the musicality, then you end up with uninteresting music. So it's having to always ride that balance of like trusting gut, trust your instinct. Okay, we need a, this needs to be good. This needs to be compelling music up, but it also needs to, you know, align with the storytelling. Okay. And just walking that balance beam. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Georgia, because you remember better than I will. I, I think Sean and Sinead told us this was the biggest thing that Shipwrecked had done as yeah. far as scope. Mm-hmm. Okay, where does it sit in, in in your career, Dylan? As far as is is this is this one of the larger things you've done from as far as like a, a scope of content for for, for One Piece? And I know they've done some from feature films, but where does it sort of land? Um, <clears throat> I don't. I mean, it was a massive undertaking, but. Uh, any any series i mean so was poe party so you know i mean poe party was uh, 11 episodes but um it, it's funny because we had less time on poe party i you know some episodes and it, because it was the first project we did together i think there was a lot of learning as we went um but i was getting picture lock <laughs> sometimes it was like five days before we released you know and and so i was just like oh i i have to compose this much music and so i was just sometimes you know doing it and in three hours and not even having time to think if it works and just and you know thankfully it did but um it it does seem to always work out somehow um (laughs) which is you know a beautiful thing about art it's it's subjective and and if music works and matches the the emotion of of the scene um you know i find if you you know trust your instinct it, it usually ends up working in in, in some way because you're you're aligning as a human you're like well this is how i'm feeling with this and and you write it you know so, the concept of um, it to me is so strange though because i've never seen a piece that's not had its scoring already on it. Like I know you like watch videos where like here's Jaws without the soundtrack and like it's not and the music does do the impact for things like that, but I've never so I don't even know how like as you said, like trusting your gut and things. I guess you kind of expect know what you'd expect to hear, but the idea of being able to do that and then actually putting that into recording and going, There you go, it's done. That to me is completely 
completely foreign it's such a strange concept because i'm so used to having my content already scored and not having to kind of come up with that i think it's such a sure impressive way of just doing it i think it's, it's very very impressive and also i think speaks to i i don't think i ever probably properly realized the relationship between director maybe producer at times but director and composer as far as here is here's where the story needs to go in this perspective and we're we're depending on on um on on the scoring to be to be the the, the foundation of this emotional pull and this emotional journey yeah, yeah. or sometimes you know sometimes it can be uh you know equally challenging to say this scene is powerful enough it doesn't need score let it let it breathe let it speak for itself you know that that's also a choice like you know? like the car chase scene in bullet do not talk to me about the car chase scene in bullet that needed scoring <laughs> oh well that was that was a choice by the director because the he said that oh no the the sound of the engines are the score right yeah yeah <laughs> Um, we had an argument about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't with me. It was with Liam, one of our other co-hosts, who's not who's not who's not here today. Who very much bullet was his kind of film. Um, so I think there's an argument to be made either way. You know, sometimes it, it you know some for some people it works, and then definitely for today's ears, we're influenced now by 50 more years of cinema that we've seen since Bullet, and car chases are usually scored, yeah. and we are, and so. Even when I approach a, a scene, it's I'm bringing it into it, my influence, right? I'm bringing it into, well, how is this kind of scene usually scored? Well, you know, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it scored this way, this way. And, you know, I'm not consciously thinking about this, but that's, you know, our influences are always present. And then being able to question it and say, oh, but do I go against it? Is there another way to do this? Is there another way to look at it? I got a question here and it just sort of pinged at me because I get asked by my students. I teach film studies um, professionally um, and I get asked by my students every now and then, can you ever just go to a movie and just enjoy a movie for being a movie? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally, if it's, if it's well made, I don't think about how it's constructed. But to have a composer here, I have to ask, are there any things that pop up in feature films when you're, when you're at the cinema, when you're going to see a film? Is there anything that happens with with the scoring uh, of a film that's kind of like uh, a bugbear for you, or things that grind on your gears, the, the sort of bad habits, or the things you just go, "Oh, that's so cliche." Oh, um, probably. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of any right now. I'm thinking of like things that I find cool, and that like it's always it's always impressive to me when I listen to a score. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing that or I don't know like how does I need to see how that's written out. I need to see <laughs> oh, okay. wow, yeah. what the concept of that is. Uh, the, the score in uh, that I'm thinking of the, the black Panther score. I remember hearing those like uh, textured, you know, multimeter, you know, uh, music that's clearly uh, based on like um, multimetered African music that has like, you know, polyrhythms uh you know a bunch basically a bunch of different time signatures happening at one time and uh just hearing it being like what is how is that drum what is that rhythm how where's the beat what am i feeling um i was very impressed by that score um there are also certain things that uh, that are 
I feel not as, or maybe not as obvious to, uh, to, you know, normal listeners, but to film composers, when you hear like the succession score, um, I, I don't know if you you watched that. Uh, Unfortunately, not. No, no. no, some of our Patreon backers have been trying to talk me into starting to watch it uh, on on. It's, it's on Apple TV here. I don't know if it's Apple TV everywhere. Oh, it's it's HBO. Oh, it's HBO. So, okay, yeah. So here, yeah. So it's it's on my list of things that I have to watch. It's just yeah. It's uh, well in in that score. What's interesting, you know, it, on surface level, it's just a you know a, a pretty you know epic classical music piece, but you can tell that the strings are slightly out of tune and and it's not something that that's very obvious it's only slight because clearly they're very good players they are playing it very well but certain passages are just like a little off and and it kind of just like that's the series in in a nutshell right it's this you know, Murdoch uh, empire you know the, the basis of it that's uh, you know, seemingly so powerful and strong, but yet you can see the cracks in it. Oh, that's clever. And, and it's shown in the score. And, you know, again, it's subliminal, but um, very impressive to 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 make that choice. Mm-hmm. Because then it could easily backfire. And you could say, man, why, why this composer, you know, record out of tune instruments? This sounds bad. I do love stuff with the score. Give stuff like that away. I'm just, I'm just going to talk about musical theater for a moment because because yeah. because I want to. Um, <laughs> I was in a production of Into the Woods once, and I was just sitting there off to the side, kind of bored. But I was looking at the, at the Act One finale, and I noticed that the Baker there's a four piece harmony at the end between the Baker, the Baker's wife, Cinderella, and the Prince. And I noticed that um, it was two different harmonies sort of competing with each other, and the Baker's wife and the Prince. Mm share one harmonic line whereas cinderella and the baker share the other harmonic line foreshadowing the the eventual coupling cheating whatever you want to call it that's going to take place in act two i remember looking at that and just going oh that's clever and there was no one around to talk to about it i want to really so i I thought i'll pull that away and at the right time i'll have a podcast and i'll be able to sort of there we go and i was i was was really impressed going these guys just thinking on levels that that, that i'm I'm not even accessing you know what i mean like to to think to do that it's just so well done sondheim sondheim to say you gotta go love Love me some sondheim I thought of two pet peeves. I just want to play them by your ear just to see kind of what your thoughts are. They're probably more evident in trailers than they are in um, actual full-scale movies. The first one's going to be the Christopher Nolan effect where every movie – and I love I love Christopher Nolan. But every trailer's got to – and it, it's spread because of his success. But every trailer's got to have that womp <laughs> image. Womp from the, Black the New ins- Image. The Inception horn. 
the inception. Yeah, basically. And that seems to, for a long time, anything that was that big budget, the trailer has to have an impact, seemed to copy that side of it. So that was one. And then Liam, if he was here, would say the legacy sequel, where people are walking around something that's old and dusty and cobwebby, and you hear the, the melody, just the melody, just one line played one finger at a time on a slightly discordant piano. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, 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 the sort of Jurassic Just World. Jurassic world <laughs> but it happened with Ghostbusters. Yeah. It happens with every legacy mm-hmm. sequel where they have to pull back. Oh, it's that thing from forever ago. So those trailers, well. well, yeah, trailers are a totally different beast <laughs> than, than even film scoring because like film scoring, you know, the, the audience is there. They, they, they've, they've, <sighs> Paid for the ticket, or they've started to stream it, and they're, they're, you know, obviously they can stop, they can walk out, whatever. But like for, you know, so you can get away with like trying new things with being creative. I feel like in trailers, more so than any other, you know, maybe commercials. You know, it's the same thing. It's it's selling a product. Uh, you know, it's selling a movie. So like, they really lean in to what has been done and what is the, uh, you know, the, the hot thing to do. And I feel like with trailer music, it usually carries on for like 10 years until audiences get completely uh, numb to, it and they're like, Oh, I roll. And it's like, okay, we got to change it now. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta do something new. Um, but it's almost like expected, you know? Um, who have been some of your influences? Who are somewhere where you looked and you go, these these are the greats of of film composition? Who's, um, your, Mount, who's your Mount Rushmore is basically what I'm asking, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, uh, I'm just thinking of like scores yeah. that I think are the best. And I think the Back to the Future score is probably my favorite score. Silvestri, I believe. <clears throat> Alan Silvestri. Yeah. And, and what's very interesting about that score is again, it's, it's not his typical style. It was, you know, he was basically brought on. And I think up until that point, he, he'd scored, you know, smaller things. I think he did like chips, the television show. Um, But this was his like huge break. Right. And they're like, can you write a score like John Williams? He's like, sure. And Back to the Future was his interpretations of a John Williams score. And I, I think he, he knocked it out of the park. It's just, it's all the things I love about Sylvester, but then also all the things I love about John Williams, which, you know, yeah. just kind of my favorite. Uh, I've also, I've talked to Sean about this, but a score that I don't think gets enough love is the Rocketeer score. That's J- James Horner. Um, and it is a phenomenal theme, phenomenal score. Uh, you know, obviously the texture of it is very nineties at this point. Um, but I think that score had more influence, uh, on like the, the following 10 years of film scores that people, people don't always give it enough credit. Um, it's a gorgeous sweeping melody. You know, the, I think that might be the B theme, but like, it's, um, oh, it's just beautiful. So I think I've already answered because it always comes down when we're talking to two, to two key names, Williams oh. and Zimmer. Cause I think Williams is the king of the theme. But I think Zimmer's the king of the, the overall score. I, I much, if, if I had to, get gun to my head, I'd rather watch a Hans Zimmer scored uh, film 
but I'll be walking out of the theater humming the theme that Williams wrote. I mean, I'll just say Williams is a better composer. Hans Zimmer is Hans Zimmer is a better producer. Can you, can you go into a bit more detail about what that means? I think it's really interesting. I, I, I think, I mean, obviously Hans Zimmer understands melody. He's, he's done it. And, and, but usually, you know, I mean, John Williams scores with pencil and paper and Hans Zimmer scores by, you know, producing a track. Oh, okay. Basically. Right. And, and what he actually, and I, and I love both of those. I, I think both of those ideas of, uh, of scoring are equally important. Um, I, th- uh, how, how Hans Zimmer will score a film is he'll, um, I mean, I think it's even before picture lock, he'll ba- basically create a music diary and he, he actually went into this uh, in, uh, uh, I think, his, like, master class thing or whatever. But um, it, it's interesting because he, he'll basically make one long track, you know, 10 minutes long, 20 minutes long, where he's just, like, riffing on the idea of the score. But he's basically producing a, a like, huge layered texture. So that's, you know, just those two different ways of Not, approaching score that's yeah. really interesting so when you were doing for instance when you're doing headless which one of those two are you doing are you sitting down and doing and doing are you writing it out or do you have a computer software that helps write that out or are you are you sort of building a, a texture i think it's a, a little of both i i like to you know i and that's why i i you know it's tough for me to pick because i think both are incredibly valuable and and i use both approaches in in everything Want to get, you've been very generous with your time. Don't want to don't want to overstay, overextend your generosity, basically. Uh, but uh, I did I'm wanna, having a blast. Oh, great! Then, then so am I. <laughs> so that works out well. I did check out. Uh, speaking of uh, Joe Stribling, I'm going to call him Joe now. I'm going to think you that. Yeah. I'm gonna, I, I think I think Dylan's sort of get, got, got me in on that. I'm okay. Um, I, I had a chance to watch the Speed of Time last night. Yes, that's a that was a fun movie to watch, and it must it must have been a fun one to. to, to I'm a bit, bit of a wrestling nerd as well on the side, so the minute I yes. realized like the shipwreck universe was kind of overlapping with with my wrestling universe, I went. <laughs> I, I messaged George. I, and said, went, I got a message late last night. You'll never guess what I found. This is the craziest <laughs> Venn diagram ever. Um, <laughs> but what was that? I mean, that you know, it, it knows what it is, but it's 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 an incredibly f- fun little film, and one that I want to do yeah. for for a fun sized film down down the line. I want to review that one. But yeah. um, what was what was that like? Sort of uh, going down uh, for people who aren't aware. It's just a little bit of time travel fun. Um, 
That's about as far as I'll go with it. But very, very sci-fi element sort of. And wrestlers. And 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 and, and wrestlers and sort of. You know, I mean, literally, well. have you seen? Do you remember the the Hulk Hogan movie? From the 90s called Suburban Commando. I Christopher Lloyd shoots out a traffic light. I totally remember yeah, that movie. Exactly. I do too. And and uh, as a, you know, however old I was when I saw it, I loved it. It's a it's a very bad movie, but it I loved it. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously when, when Joe started describing this to me, I'm like, oh, so it's like Back to the Future meets Suburban Commando. He's like, yeah, sure. I feel like um, but uh, obviously Joe has such a great sense of humor and, um, that, that was a blast because, uh, in the, in the theme, which is, uh, a, a song that is very much out of back to the future, like in the style of Huey Lewis. Um, yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> that was, that was fun, fun to write. I feel like I was. I was writing it around this time of year. I was writing it uh, when I was home for the holidays one year and um, <clears throat> just coming up with fun lyrics to put to it. And, and, and again, thinking, okay, how do I make a Huey Lewis song that, that feels like Huey Lewis, but is not a Huey Lewis song. And, um, you know, just tinkering around with melodic ideas and, and, um, and then getting uh, Ace Young to sing it, who, who has this, you know, great, great voice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a blast. Excellent. So do you have any projects at the moment that you're working on or do you kind of, how does it work with being a composer? Do you, are you approached? Do you approach people? How does that sort of system work? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on a, a feature right now, um, called the throwback and, um, going to be done with that in, in February. Um, right. Uh, like there, there are always five or six projects going on at one time. Um, I've, I've made it a point to, uh, to not fill up my schedule too much the last couple months because, um, you know, obviously I, I have a, a newborn, my, my son. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And so just wanted to also spend enough time with him and, and then enjoy our I time bet he gets together. the best nursery rhymes. Yes. Every instrument yeah. at once. <laughs> we'll usually sit here. I'll, I'll tinker around the piano. <laughs> with um, so it's the feature film. And then um, a musical that, I, that I've that uh, i written with um, my collaborator, Will Lacker, who's the book writer, playwright, and, and we co-wrote the lyrics together. Uh, that's called The Pelican. That was at um, <clears throat> NAMPT which is, uh, I describe it as like Sundance for musical theater. Oh, probably. Um, and uh, we are in talks with, uh, you know, with, uh, I, I don't know what I can say, but I, <laughs> we are in very important talks right now. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, all the fingers crossed on that yeah, for sure. Really. Yeah. That's remarkable. Um, I did want to talk ever so briefly about some of the other stuff with Shipwrecked. Um, I, I was I was giving as I was setting, trying to set the computer up and failing <laughs> before he started. I was giving another listen to uh, Friends Till the End, yes. which um, which is this lovely, fun little parody of a vampire kind of 
song, uh, which, 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 which Mary Kate, is it Mary Kate and Sinead who sing that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, I, I think Mary Kate's an absolute treasure of a voice. So, oh, yeah. so you, 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 you do lyrics as well as music, but when you're working with Shipwrecked, when they have such a distinct voice, do they handle the lyrics or is that, is, is, is it sometimes a bit more back and forth? How does that go? So, um, for, for, Previous shipwrecked um, songs that I've written for them, uh, I uh, like all the, um, uh, you know, Gilded Lily songs. Uh, I wrote the music and lyrics by myself for Friends Till the End. They approached me there and uh, just kind of, uh, I don't know if it was like a pandemic idea, but they were like, we want to do a, a just a one off kind of song based about dra- around Dracula. I'm like okay, well, I I don't think I've ever read Dracula, so I I, I bought it and started reading it, and um, you know, it, there was some back and forth, and and I was like, I would really love to write these lyrics with, you know, with you guys, and so uh, me, Sean, and Sinead, you know, took a few, you know, Zoom sessions and uh, and wrote the lyrics together while I was sitting here my keyboard is literally right here and uh and you know we would come up with some lyrics and and then i would come up with some tunes to it and and that's how we put it together and then i built the the track and uh sent it to them and mary kate and sinead record the vocals out in la then sent me back the individual vocal tracks that they recorded and and then i i layered it in and mixed it and mastered it here in new york that's so cool. <laughs> and, and, and what a crazy time to be, to be doing this because that's, you know, you reverse the clock back 10 years. That's not, that's, that's, that's not possible. It's, it's a lot more legwork anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's funny because we, we started collaborating before, you know, the whole pandemic, but, um, you know, a lot of our work together has been, you know, zoom over the phone. Um, we actually, we always comment, we have, I mean, I consider them close friends and collaborators at this point. We have never met in person. Wow. That is insane. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I, obviously I, you know, I grew up with Joe, but uh, everyone else in Shipwreck, we have, we have never met face to face. Because like anytime I'm out, out in LA, it's either like schedules haven't lined up and yeah. Yeah. You hear that, wild? That, that, that is so insane. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> uh, on that note, because it kind of leads, lends itself into my next thing, because I, I was a big fan of Gilded Lily as well. And and the songs are so funny mm-hmm. in Gilded Lily. And this is the part where I remind George of the microphones in front of her face and not off to the side. I'm turning to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I won't look at you that often. I appreciate the, the conversational style. <laughs> but Fine. Georgia does claim she needs a head mic for moments like this. I so. am awful. I do too. Yeah, I'd much rather have a head mic and just so I can look and talk to people because, yeah, I'm awful with a microphone. <laughs> Makes sense. They have such a unique comic voice. And when you're writing with them in mind, is it is it difficult or does the, do all that those years of collaboration or friendship, does that help kind of, do you sort of share a shorthand language, I guess, in, in common? Because it, it is a very unique voice they tend to have comedically. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, with those, I... <laughs> 
sometimes I, I feel like when it's a, a collaborative effort and, and I'm, and I know that I'm writing a song for, for the purpose of sending it back to an, uh, you know, another collaborator. Uh, I think I was, and maybe this was subconscious. I was like, what's going to get them to laugh? What, <laughs> what, what's going to, I want, I want to, you know, I want to see Sinead and Sean, you know, like chuckle. What's going to, you know, what's, what's Mary Kate going to really, you know, enjoy and, you know, and thinking about her, her vocal stylings and like knowing her voice. Um, so those are definitely subconscious things that I that I that I have going on in the back of my head when I'm writing. <laughs> uh, I, I can't tell you in all odd Dylan how how This has been fun. I've enjoyed this. This has been a lot of fun <laughs> too. It's given me such a perspective that I didn't I didn't even consider or it's no. shone, shone lights on areas that I thought I sort of had somewhat figured out, but it, it, it's been, it's been eye opening. It's been rewarding. It's, but, but yeah, it's been really, really fun. And I'm very, very thankful for you for you taking the time on, uh, on, on a, on a late morning for you, a mid afternoon for us. <laughs> I will definitely be going back and listening, not only to your work, but to other scoring work. And I think appreciating more how much effort goes into it, especially with yours as you play all of it and then layer it all. I think I probably haven't appreciated enough how much effort that is. So I will definitely be going back and uh, having a proper listen and going and even more appreciating how cool it is. Cause I really, I love the theme, especially I think it's brilliant. It's always stuck in my head. Um, so just to have a little bit more appreciation for that will be even better. So thank you for that. I have one yeah. last question and it's not, and it, I, I mean, I don't need to know the specifics of it because it's not really what I'm asking, but I'm just trying to figure out how early do you get involved in this stuff? We know Shipwreck's doing an audio mm-hmm. thing yet. Have they let you know what their long-term future plans are as far as upcoming projects? I don't need to know what the project is. I'm just curious if you know. So it it always depends. I, um, <clears throat> I Sometimes they'll bring me in early if, if necessary and uh, – and sometimes right at the end. That's all I'll say about that. There's a smile there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, we did the whole pat and head and stomach thing. There was a smile yeah. there. And that's, that, that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, really couldn't be more thankful. Thank you, Dylan, for uh, spending time with us. Uh, Dylan Gladhorn. Uh, find him, it seems, everywhere. But most directly, at least, as far as what we've been doing lately, go, if you haven't done it yet, Go check out Headless. It's a fantastic web series. Uh, as I said to them, I'll say the same thing to you. If there's any justice in this world, the cream should always rise to the top. And whatever it is that you're looking for out there, you should achieve. This is a fantastic Absolutely. piece. And hopefully everybody is destined for, like I said, whatever that means, the success in, in, in and the freedom to do whatever it is you're looking to do going forward. Thank you. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you.